Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I am joined by Carol A. Mancuso, MD, Professor of Medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College, Senior Scientist at the Hospital for Special Surgery, and the Director of the Master's Degree Program in Clinical Epidemiology and Health Services Research at the Weill Cornell Graduate School of Medical Sciences. Dr. Mancuso was the author of the editorial titled, Assessing Outcomes in Terms of Fulfillment of Patient Expectations is Complementary to Traditional Measures Including Satisfaction, which was published in the June 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. This editorial was based on the article titled, Preoperative Expectations Do Not Correlate with Postoperative IHOP 33 Scores and Patient Satisfaction Following Hip Arthroscopy for the Treatment of Femoroacetabular Impingement Syndrome by Shai Factor, Ehud Roth, and colleagues, also published in the June 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Hello, Andrea. Thank you so much, Andrea, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. And thank you also to um, the Arthroscopy Journal for inviting me to be able to speak on this topic. Carol, I've heard wonderful things about you and your research since I myself was a fellow at HSS. Can you tell us about your background, your clinical practice, your research and collaboration with orthopedics? Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I'd be very happy to. So, um, Andrea, I came to the Hospital for Special Surgery after I completed my residency training in internal medicine. And as a generalist physician, I have always been interested in the whole patient, uh, their physical as well as their psychological and mental well-being. And when I came to HSS, I was struck by how many orthopedic procedures patients undergo. And unlike my internal medicine training, where much of the care and treatment that patients receive is not because they want to or elect to do so, but because they have medical comorbidity and they have medical issues that necessitate treatment. But in orthopedics, it was very different. It was very interesting. Patients were electing to undergo some of these very complex orthopedic procedures that required risk, obviously, with the surgery and a lot of recuperation and a lot of effort to uh, to get back to a certain level of function. So I became very, very interested in what motivated patients to do this. And so obviously that led me to the idea of, well, what do they expect as the outcome of the surgery that they will have? What do they think will be different? How will their life be different? How will their lifestyle, how will their quality of life be different? And so I basically joined together my um, training as a general internist and my interest in the whole patient and focused on these particular psychosocial issues that related to why patients would undergo procedures like arthroplasty, for example, uh, was uh, my initial particular interest. And so with um, the colleagues at HSS, I developed a very close relationship with the orthopedic surgeon. And uh, we really, uh, I would like to think, had a, a, a mutually respectful relationship. I have great regard for the work that they were doing. Um, they appreciated the contributions that I was able to make to the care of their patients. And so we worked together very, very well as clinicians and then as researchers. So when I discussed with them, with the arthroplasty service first, this idea of looking at expectations, I was met with great enthusiasm. Um, And so I embarked on a series of studies, um, as you know, that uh, looked at patients' expectations of the care that they were going to receive and the surgery that they were going to have, and then did a follow-up to find out whether or not these expectations have been fulfilled. The first studies that I did were in arthroplasty, in hip and knee arthroplasty. And I was uh, part of the arthritis center 
that was funded by uh, the NIH at the time. Um, and so I was being trained as a clinical epidemiologist and as a clinical researcher. Many of my mentors were involved in psychosocial medicine and behavioral science. So I learned quite a bit about the techniques in how to address these very important psychological, um, psychological issues. And one of the things that I learned is that, and as an internist I know this, the answer to all of our research questions really lie with the patients themselves. If you learn how to listen to them and train your ear to actually hear what they're saying. So the studies that I have done that relate to expectations have revolved around a certain methodology. And this methodology was also used in the study that you described um, in your intro for patients who were undergoing hip preservation surgery. So basically, the methodology is to interview patients with open-ended questions and let them use their own voice to describe exactly what it is that they expected from their surgery. And I would ask them, you know, fast forward two years from now, what will be different? What do you expect is going to be your new situation, your new circumstance? And I, I took down all of their ideas and all of their perspectives and suggestions and ended up with hundreds and hundreds of concepts that patients had and then grouped them into certain themes, formulated the themes into items that became part of, of a questionnaire. And then the second phase was to take that questionnaire and to see whether or not if given to patients on two different occasions, they would, you know, with a close proximity to each other, patients would uh, respond in the same way. That was called the reliability phase. And then after that, I would launch the survey um, to uh, hundreds of patients and actually see how the survey performed in, the, in the, these different procedures. So as I mentioned, I started out with hip and knee replacement surgery, quickly learned that knee replacement and sports knee surgery were very different, and so developed another survey for knee, uh, knee surgery. And then subsequently, I have partnered with the foot and ankle service, with the hand service, uh, with the spine service in particular, and developed surveys to measure the expectations that patients have for those various procedures. And then the hip preservation surgeons here at HSS asked me to do the same for the patients that they take care of. Um, and so that led to the development of the hip preservation survey, uh, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the launch point for the editorial that I wrote for arthroscopy. Wonderful. It is such a rich history, and I'm so glad that you have partnered with orthopedic surgeons because it's such a needed area that we often don't think about. We'll, we'll discuss that hip preservation surgery expectation survey, which you uh, discussed in a publication in 2017 in the Arthroscopy Journal, uh, where you introduced and validated that hip preservation surgery expectation survey. But I'm curious, as you mentioned your methodology, were there any themes that really surprised you uh, as you were gathering this information from patients about their expectations? Yes, absolutely. So uh, two points I'll, I'll, I'll make to that. Oftentimes, when I talk about measuring patients' expectations, um, I receive comments like, well, you, you know what patients expect. They expect to be perfect. They expect to be everything to be just. That's what they want. They want to go back. And I say there's a difference between expectations and what patients want. Okay. What we want is perfect health, obviously. We want to turn the clock back or at least turn our joints back, you know, to the way that they might have been. But when you interview patients or when you talk to them about expectations, it's important to tell them, right, tell me, please, what it is that you expect, not what you want, what you expect. The minute you 
propose it to them that way. You juxtapose the two. They instantly understand the difference. All right? They instantly understand the difference. And many individuals, when they think they're studying expectations, they're not. They're studying something else. They're studying what a patient wants, all right, what they hope for. And we can talk about what the difference is between those two and what we should strive for perhaps a little bit later. But um, that's one item that I will mention uh, that, that uh, is a theme that transcends all of the surveys that I have worked on and all of the different orthopedic populations that I've studied. The second thing was, is specific to hip preservation. So what's fascinating about hip preservation, it was astonishing to me, was first of all, there is the breadth of patient uh, scenarios that present to hip preservation surgeons. So unlike arthroplasty, or unlike lower back pain and, and spine um, issues, in uh, hip preservation, you have an incredible spectrum of the of individuals who are young, athletic, very, very uh, fit, um, and the reason they're having surgery is to enhance, all right, already what is excellent physical behavior or physical uh, abilities. And then you have individuals at the other end of the spectrum who are older in life and are trying to avoid having a hip replacement. And so therefore there was a, a very wide spectrum of types of patients that presented um, to the hip preservation surgeons. And when I put the survey together, I had to pay very special attention to how I was going to capture all of this. And one thing that, that I did do, what I have not done for any of the other surveys, is that all of the other surveys I address exercise and being fit and exercising for fitness. But for hip preservation, I had to have a special sports category. And within the sports category, I made three subcategories. I made uh, competitive, collegial, professional sports. I made um, competitive but not professional. And I made sports for, for physical enhancement and for health and well-being. That was unique. And that was unique. And how to handle that uh, was quite challenging for the particular hip preservation survey. So I would have to say those were unique features that I found. That's excellent. And I think we see that in clinical practice as well, that this patient population is much more challenging for that same heterogeneity that you were discussing in their expectations, in just their presentation and, and their backgrounds and, and their goals of what they want to get back to. Now, exactly, Andrea. And, and that, that's exactly why it's important to talk to the patients. That's exactly why, because you cannot assume that you know what they're going to say or what they're thinking. You really need to talk to them. And even though I had developed several expectation surveys up until that point, I knew that I had to go back to square one and actually talk to these patients. And it was extremely valuable that I did so, that I was able to glean, for example, this, as well as other differences. Um, Andrea, there's a very, very um, interesting question in the, in the hip preservation survey where uh, we ask patients what their expectations are to return to more challenging activities in the future. And I'll tell you, I struggled over how to put that one together and what inspired it, and it's kind of funny to think about this, what inspired it was two patients I interviewed. One, the question is, you know, their expectation that they will be able to pursue more vigorous activities in the future or more challenging activities in the future. One was a collegiate football player who wanted to be play for the, for the, the a professional football team. And the other was a young woman 
who wanted to have a family and wanted to become pregnant and was afraid of how her how her pregnancy would turn out because of her hips. These were two very, very different scenarios, and yet their expectation was to be able to pursue something more vigorous in the future. So you see how you you can put these these themes together and come up with a uh, an expectation that resonates very differently uh, depending upon where the patient is in his or her life and what again what their expectations are. Very interesting, also understandably very challenging. So I guess this leads into my next question, perhaps a two-part question. You know, why is it so important for our clinical practice to understand these expectations? And why do you think we're talking about this more in the literature today? Well, I, I'll, uh, the, the, second answer, the second question is easy because uh, the, the focus more is more and more on patient-centered outcomes, more and more on uh, patient-centered reasons for undergoing procedures, and then ultimately their assessment of outcome. So there is a, a, a big push towards patient for patient-centered outcomes. However, when I started to do this years ago, that was really not the focus, but the, the, my focus at that time was, again, why would people undergo such a, an elective procedure if it wasn't for something very personal and something that they, they wanted uh, for themselves? But now I see that the, this movement towards patient-reported outcome measures and so forth, there's more and more focus on the individual patient and why he or she you know, is undergoing procedures, but also, more importantly, how they rate outcomes. With respect to the first question, why is this important for clinicians to know? I guess my answer would just be a couple of things. First of all, I think we should always bear in mind that we really don't know why patients seek the care that they do for elective procedures. We may think we know, but we may not know exactly what is the reason why they want to undergo surgery and what they expect then will be uh, will be the outcome. The other is also where these expectations come from. Um, it's fascinating to find out. You, we like to think that patients get their expectations from us, right? From 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 the clinicians. But if you stop to think about patients undergoing orthopedic surgery, they very likely have spoken to a lot of clinicians on the way to the orthopedic surgeon's office, whether it be a generalist physician, well, it, whether it be a subspecialist, you know, who's taking care of their pulmonary or cardiac condition, or a physical, you know, physical therapist or a physiatrist, they come to the orthopedic surgeon having spoken to a lot of experts along the way. And some, and I say experts, you know, in quotations, because um, the those individuals certainly have a breadth of knowledge, but may not be most current with what exactly the surgery will entail and what will be the recuperation and the outcome. So patients come with with their with different sources of expectations, and therefore uh, can have very very different perspectives, and that that doesn't include what they hear from their neighbors, from their friends what they see on social media, how all of these things impact. Uh, I can't tell you how many times when I interview patients and I ask them, you know, where, where did you get these expectations from? What is, where, what's the source of this expectation? Well, the lady down the block told me, or <laughs> my cousin works in a nursing home, and she takes care of a lot of elderly people, and she says that her friend says, it is absolutely amazing that, um, and many times the information they have is not necessarily incorrect, but it's just not applicable to them. 
right? And that's where the orthopedic surgeon, that's where the clinician can say, yep, you're right, that, that's a possible result of this surgery. However, in your case, this is what I think. And you can tailor their expectations more to their own particular situation. I think that's very valuable. The other thing is to tell them how much improvement they can expect. So many times when I have reviewed the expectation surveys with surgeons, they will nod their head and they'll say, yes, these are all reasonable things for patients to expect. However, it's the amount of improvement that patients expect where is where the surgeon and the patient may differ. So, you know, when patients say, my surgeon said I'll be able to drive, or my surgeon said that I'll be able to participate in this particular activity, the answer is yes, that is correct. The surgeon did say that. However, the surgeon did not say that you will be able to drive cross-country, you know, in three days, or did not say that you'll be able to participate in this activity nonstop. It's the amount of improvement that is where definitely the surgeon and the patient need to, to come together on what is realistic uh, for them as the outcome. Those are all excellent points. And I think nuances that I admit I myself don't always think about. So it's, it's excellent that we're not only talking about it, but publishing research on it. Let me ask you, uh, your, the paper that your editorial was based on used the hip preservation surgery expectation score that you created to answer the question of whether patient expectations predicted the success of hip arthroscopy based on patient reported outcome measures. And they found that in their patient, of, uh, their patient cohort of 69 patients, they found no difference in preoperative expectations and postoperative IHOT 33 scores. Now, this was different from your findings in that arthroscopy publication in 2017, where you found that younger patients and those with worse preoperative hip-specific functional status had higher expectations. So how, how do you think these findings complement or um, differ from one another? One of the key points in the methodology that we have used has been very much looking at within patient change in status. So uh, it's very important to know preoperatively what patient A, how they score, and then postoperatively how does patient A score, and then make a comparison within the patient, and then take a mean of the within patient comparisons. Some investigators instead will do a group mean comparison. They will take the entire sample preoperatively and calculate the mean score. They'll take the entire sample postoperatively and calculate the mean score and then compare those composite mean scores. That's a different methodology than what we have used. We hold more to the within patient change in score. And so that is one, one of the differences that, that we had between our studies and uh, pre previous studies and studies that others have done. Those are excellent points of differences uh, in methodology. So thank you for that. Now, you mentioned in your editorial uh, and earlier in this podcast, a fulfillment of expectation scores, which you have also developed. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this and, and how it differs from the preoperative expectation score and then what that score has elucidated so far? Yep, absolutely. All right. So preoperatively, we calculate a score based on all of the options available in the expectation survey. In so doing, we give patients an opportunity to tell us which expectations they have, right, and which expectations they don't have, and then how much improvement they expect for those expectations they have. When you, you use a survey in that way, 
you then can compare your sample to other samples of patients because they similarly were presented with the, with the full panel of possible expectations to choose from. Okay? So that's preoperatively. Postoperatively, what we decided to do was instead of calculating a score, instead to calculate a proportion. So what that means is postoperatively, we ask patients about those items that they expected preoperatively, right? And preoperatively, they told us how much improvement they expect. And postoperatively, for those items, we ask them, how much improvement did you actually receive? And then we take a simple ratio, the amount of improvement received divided by the amount of improvement expected yields a proportion, okay, a proportion. And so I like that better because it once again speaks to the within patient change. That proportion is very specific to that patient. It includes only the items they expected before surgery. The expectation proportion can go from zero, meaning no expectations were fulfilled, or it could even be greater than one if their expectations were surpassed, meaning that the amount of improvement they got was even more than what they had expected. I think that proportion of expectations fulfilled is a very powerful outcome. And I think it's a novel outcome um, that, uh, that we can use in orthopedic surgery because it is very, very patient-specific. So it's not a score, um, Andrea. It's not a score in the way a preoperative score is because the preoperative score can range from zero to 100, and you can compare it to patients in other settings. But the proportion is very patient-specific. It includes both preoperative information and postoperative information and becomes a much more powerful prospective measure of outcome. Well, that's wonderful. And I agree with you. That is a very interesting quantitative way to uh, qualify how these patients are doing. So now, Carol, as we wrap up here, how do you think we can continue to apply and improve on our use of these preoperative expectation scores, as well as the fulfillment of expectation score that you were just describing in our orthopedic practices? The surveys that we have developed have ranging between 18 and 21 items in them. And oftentimes people will say, oh, that's too long. That's too long. Patients won't fill them out. But they do fill them out. They do because they're very interested in the topic that's being discussed, number one. Number two, we have formatted the surveys so that they are easy to understand and easy to fill out. So they're not long questions by any means. There's just one question, how much improvement do you expect in the following items? And then there is a list of items there that they can can either endorse that they expect or not. And if they do, how much improvement, you know, do they expect on a, on a four-point scale for how much improvement they expect? They're easy to, to fill out. Um, there also are domains that they cluster around. So for the hip preservation, for example, there were seven different domains from the 21 questions in that survey. So if you are interested in a particular area, whether it be their 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 actual improvement in daily activities or their their sports improvement or their psychological well-being, you can hone in on on those specific um, those specific areas. With respect to the orthopedic practice, given this current focus on patient-centeredness. Um, I, I think that, that the expectation survey and its follow-up version are perhaps the most patient-centered you can get uh, because they, they, they really, you know, uh, bring to the table a lot of different topics 
a lot of different areas, both physical and psychological improvement. Many times we don't appreciate that patients undergo these elective procedures, yes, to relieve pain, no question about that, and yes, to improve the ability to walk, et cetera, but also to remove a stigma, to remove a feeling that I am, you know, I am not as healthy as I am what used to be, to remove the fear that I'm, I'm going to get worse. All of these psychological things are very important in, in patients seeking these elective procedures. So I think that contributes a lot. So nowadays that we can do certain things online or you can keep track of what the preoperative expectations were and then very easily call them up, you know, um, for the follow-up assessment. Years ago, when we had paper and pencil only, that was very difficult because so many times research assistants would say, oh, gee, you know, the the um, the survey is in the office and the office is three blocks away and I don't know what the baseline is anymore. But we don't, We this is now different. We can use um, online versions uh, of the surveys and so that makes that um, that easier. I think that that's an important issue. And the other one that I alluded to earlier on, which is the difference between what patients want and what patients expect. So this is a very important, very important point. Because um, I'm, I think what patients want is what they hope for, right? And as clinicians, we know how valuable that hope and that desire and what a powerful motivator it can be. So many of us have seen time and time again that you will have a patient who comes into your office and you'll say, I can't believe how well she's done. I would never have expected this myself. I didn't anticipate this. Look, it's amazing. It's amazing. Patients will surprise us, right? We know that. So the trick is to provide realistic expectations, but not to dash people's hope, not to dash that, because hope can be a powerful motivator that can raise patients up to greater levels of improvement post a procedure than we ever dreamed they possibly could. So when I'm asked this question, so how do you balance the two? And, and what I suggest is to tell patients, in my experience, this is what I would expect would be the outcome of your surgery, that you will have a moderate improvement in this, a little improvement in that, a lot of improvement in the other. This is what I would expect based on my experience and the experience of my colleagues that, that I know well. However, it is possible that it might be even doable to achieve more. I don't necessarily expect that, but I realize that it is possible depending upon how you feel and how you recuperate and how much you want something to change. This way, you be realistic, but at the same time, you continue to plant and foster hope, which is a very powerful motivator. And obviously, what we want to do, the psychological appeal, if you will, to allow patients to achieve even more than we would expect of them and truly derive benefit from the procedure that they've had. That is such wonderful insights. And Carol, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing your expertise and for all of your excellent work in the field of orthopedic surgery. We really appreciate it. All right, Andrea, thank you very, very much. It was a pleasure being with you today. And I certainly hope that uh, your listeners and your colleagues will continue to devote their energies to, to addressing expectations. Thank you. Dr. Mancuso's editorial titled Assessing Outcomes in Terms of Fulfillment of Patient Expectations is Complementary to Traditional Measures, Including Satisfaction, can be found online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. 
This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you all for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you.